Hi, and welcome to the Just Riding Along show. Hello, and welcome to episode 117. Tonight's show is brought to you by Pocket Knives and Sheds. Because and bears. And bears and deer. And we're going to do minimal hunt talk because we've got feedback that it's been too much. So well, That was from like one person. Well, it, minimal hunt talk. We're going to talk about a lot of bike shit, and then we're going to wrap it up quick because we haven't been riding our bikes because we've been hunting and tearing down sheds and buying new pocket knives and just generally just not riding. But tomorrow's a different day, and I'm going to ride my bike. And if I don't ride my bike, then I'll give you all your money back. <laughs> you can't that, say that our patrons actually give us a little bit of money nope the amount charged for this episode i'll just give it back to you okay the amount that someone had to pay mandatory to listen to this just like i told the person that was buy- picking up a wheel out of my free pile today if it doesn't fit your truck i'll give you back double your money and andrea just cracked open a cold one um it's a Lacroix. can i start the show with a really terrible joke that i heard Thanks. So, what do alcoholics and necrophiliacs have in common? They both can't wait to crack a cold one. God damn. Yeah, that's so that's that, rowdy. <laughs> with that, Andrea's going to do patrons tonight because we're recording on my computer because hers has been giving us fits. So, we're going to record on mine and she's going to read patrons. So, go fast. At go. $10 a month, we've got Zozo, Zach, Will. Trail builders are often thirsty. Please bring them beer. Tom P., Todd, Ty, Tennessee Zach, Taper War Pro, Smells Like Sweat and Fear, SCG Shuko, Sam Pecklin Racing, Sam, Ryan, Ralph Wiggum, Parker, Noah, Nick, My Pal Dal, MTB Shenanigans, Lloyd Christmas, Leland, Kitty Sucks. Oh, you didn't do the voice. Kitty Sucks. Ken, Josh, Josh, Josephine, Quixotic, <laughs> Jeff, JC, Jara Dix, Jake D, Green Giant, Gordon, G-Man, F That Guy, Mark, Ezra, Evan, Eric, Droopy Balls, Captain Fickle, Cam Irish, Billy Single Speed, Bill, Bo, Baggins, Alec, AJ, Aaron, Esker Cycles at 1169, Lead Out Sports, and Josh from the Intesa at 14 Australian, Dean at 1650 Australian, uh, at $20 a month we've got Scott, Pooperinch, Joe, Brady, Anthony, Affordable Trail Solutions, Harley at 30, Troy at 31, Brad at 32, and Six Pack, pack Outdoors at 50. Oh, it's fitty. Fitty with two Ds, like stupid with a T. That's pretty good. I haven't just read something straight off of a surface since, like, I don't know, elementary school when the teacher would make you read in class. Yeah, so I'll go first. I bought a new pocket knife. I asked for recommendations and then took the recommendation of listener slash buddy slash Andy here. (laughs) Um, And I bought a SOG Terminus XR. I'm reading that right off the knife in crimson if you want to know the color. It's really cool. It is not an assisted open, but it is easily open by one hand, closed by one hand. Pretty affordable. It was like 50 or 60 bucks. I can't remember. And all in all is a pretty straightforward pocket knife. That came in the mail today, along with a new pair of overalls, which I didn't put on yet. I should be wearing those right now because it's kind of chilly. Uh, it got really cold here, but before it got cold, just so everyone knows, we record on Wednesdays. Usually today is Wednesday. I took off this entire week because I was planning on deer hunting. My deer season opened on Saturday, and it runs through the next Sunday. But what happened was, is on opening day, I was lucky enough to shoot my first deer. Um, Not going to tell the story here because I want people to listen to the Antlers podcast that we are going to record about this. I was really happy that I was there to see it. Andrea was there to see it. It was rad. Much smaller animal. Much easier pack out than Andrea's pack out from hell. Everything is... Just it was a, a fat deer too. It was. It was a. We're gonna go quick. I it, know. It was a fat deer. It was a very quick, right place, right time, good shooting, and uh, that happened at noon. By seven o'clock, all the meat was hung on property, and I was drunk. So <laughs> it was amazing. Uh, with that, that happened on Saturday. I took the day off on Sunday. It got really cold here on Saturday. The No exaggeration, from the time that I got in my truck to the time that I got home, the temperature had dropped nearly 15 or 20 degrees because I was driving. 
even though I started at a higher elevation, it was colder by the time I got to my house because I was driving into the storm by about 10 or 12 miles. And the high on Sunday was something like 25. Yeah, something like that. And then Monday did did deer stuff. Deer stuff, shed stuff, I don't know. And then what's today, Wednesday? What did I do yesterday? Oh, no, Sunday I took the day off. Monday I did a little bit of deer stuff. But then Tuesday I wrapped that all up. Everything's in the freezer except for one huge chunk that, that I need to find a a larger, it doesn't fit in my back seal bags. Um, and then today I did the most redneck thing. I'll let Andrea post this video with the show on Monday on the Instagrams. I used my truck to pull down an old shed. And since people like hearing about shenanigans, we had a really crappy, it was a great shed, but it was a crappy shed. And it had squirrels in it. It had squirrels in it. It was poorly constructed. Like everything else on this property that the former owners built, it was constructed out of fucking pallets, okay? (laughs) Um, Once I really got into the bones of this shed, it had fucking pallets as the core of its existence. And I want to build a new shed. There's really great metal roofing on this shed. When I say a shitty shed, it has 14 or 15 foot long ceiling rafters on 24 inch centers with no deck boards. And we get snow. I mean, that, that's not a sustainable shed for where we live. But uh, I want to build a slightly different shed in a much better location. I've pulled the old chicken coop and another shed out. That shed went on an extremely sketchy small trailer and was hauled up the neighborhood from us. Um, <laughs> one of those things, when it got off the property, I jumped for joy and was stoked that it was no longer my problem. The goal is to build a much nicer bike shed and then use the current bike shed as essentially like it's going to get. So everything's happening in phases. Pulled all that shit out. Now I'm tearing down this shed, which is nearly done. I've got a Sanford and Son style load on a trailer. I've broken my trailer in this process. So, yeah, I'll just get into it because I haven't been riding my bike. So I'll give people some funny stuff. Pulled a bunch of windows out of this shed, pulled the old door out. All this stuff is going to be reused or repurposed or something. It has a really nice stove that I'm going to put in my workshop. Um, I don't know why you would want a stove in a shed that's 75 yards from your house when you have a workshop that's cold as shit. Uh, I don't know. But going to move the stove up to the current workshop. Going to use some of the roofing on the new shed. Going to use some of the material. Like There was some really cool siding on part of the shed. And that's going to be turned into some, uh, that along with some windows. I'm going to make a small greenhouse so Andrea can grow some herbs and whatnot for us. And that's not code. We're not growing weed. And then, yeah, I, I, I'd had my trailer down by the shed. Just I would go out at like lunch and take a couple of boards off and toss them on the trailer. Just kind of rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. And it was a little bit snowy, a little bit muddy. And I had the camper or the topper on my truck absolutely freighted. So I was struggling to back up to the trailer. Yeah, it gave me a hard time. I don't give a fuck. But I and I'd moved some windows and some old, like some nice siding and stuff. So I couldn't pull up to the trailer exactly how I had before. And also, the trailer had fallen off of a block that I had for it. So what I'm getting at is it took a lot of work to get the trailer hooked back up. Like I had to literally lift it and reposition and even once i set it back down on the ball the little latch in the tongue didn't want to snap into place hear me out and my goal was i was going to get in the truck and i was going to just like put it into first gear and like give it like a kadunk kadunk and like bump it around and get out and latch it i forgot to do that or i did that and i got out and latched it and then i forgot the part where you pull up the uh the jack on the trailer. So I drove off and I bent the fuck out of the jack and I ended up losing a bunch of time today trying to unfuck the jack on the trailer, which I later decided that I was just going to hell with it all. I'm just going to drive and hopefully it'll break itself off and then I can just buy a new one. That didn't work. Um, I sledgehammered on it for like an hour trying to get it straight enough to pull it out and that didn't work. So I sledgehammered on it in anger that didn't work. So tomorrow I'm just going to drag it up near the house and use an angle grinder and cut the fucking thing off. Um, 
but I did pull down he the did, shit. He did drive it around the yard to do what he was planning on doing with it just dragging around in the fucking dirt. Yeah. I mean, shit. What is it going to do, get more broken? <laughs> yeah, it did. But it didn't get all the way broken, which is what I was shooting for. The problem was it was bent in a way where it could no longer be pulled out. Like, I unbolted it, but it won't pull out. Yeah. So, I did all that. Before I went on this, this like, hell of I'm just going to destroy it, I did have all that stuff in my truck. And my goal was I was going to move the trailer so I could pull the shed down. And then I was going to take the stuff to the dump. And... I went to the dump. I went to buy some things at the local stores, and uh, I didn't find them. And for the, everyone out there that's like, you shouldn't buy as much stuff on Amazon, just know that I went to Ace Hardware to buy a very specific circular saw blade today. And it was seven times as expensive in store as it is on Amazon. So just remember that when you give people a hard time for buying things on Amazon. It was $6 versus $43. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Like for the same brand and everything? Uh, okay, maybe slightly different brands. One brand was... But but I'm not talking about like a DeWalt versus a, a Ching Chong. I was going to say, you're, like, you're going down a slippery slope here. Well, I bought a... Uh, you can buy a bicycle for $199. <laughs> no, on Amazon, you can buy a DeWalt metal cutting blade for your cir- circular saw for 6 or $7. The only one that they had in... Ace Hardware was $43. Hmm. And it wasn't DeWalt brand, but it was the... It, it, technically, it should be more affordable because it's Diablo brand. And on other blades on the package, DeWalt is shitting on Diablo. The DeWalt one on Amazon, is it is it spelled right? Yes. It might not be a DeWalt. It's not a DeWalt. <laughs> <laughs> or a DeWalt. No, it's a DeWalt. Like Dwayne. <laughs> uh, so that's my week. Someone else should start talking, and then we should shit on things and wrap this bitch up. Well, yeah, since we're like skipping over hunting content today, I'll just my week has just been bear hunting. Uh, I accidentally crossed paths with a mountain lion. Wow! It was. It did not stalk me. It did not act threatening. It ran away. The only reason I knew it was a mountain lion was because I was following some tracks. Just because they were going in the general direction I wanted to go, so I just used that path to go see like kind of where the mountain lion went until I wanted to go a different way. And I heard a noise in the bushes as I was kind of looking, and I very, for a fraction of a second, saw a mountain lion-colored back end of an animal, and it made that noise. If any of you are cat owners, you know this noise. You may not know that you know this noise. When your cat gets startled and it runs, you hear that initial scoot, but then you don't hear it running because it's a fucking cat. That is exactly what I heard, and I saw something that was the color of a mountain lion running away. So I was pretty close to it, and it was, but it was a smaller cat. Um, you know, it wasn't threatening or anything. It just waited till I got close and ran off. So that was yesterday. Uh, today I actually found a good bear track. It took me to an elk carcass that it had been going to day after day and nomming on. And then I found a fresher elk track or a bear track, followed that and found a bear, but it ran away and uh, I never got a shot at it. But it was really exciting because I actually just fucking power hiked walked ran this track until it took me to a bear like you follow a track long enough there's an animal at the end of it so it was pretty cool i was i was real happy but the one thing i realized um, after i looked around for a while and realized i couldn't find like refind a, a track back in the snow i looked at the map and i'm like oh fuck i'm a long way from the truck because i kind of get into this mode where i'm not paying any attention to anything except here's a track and is there an animal somewhere in front of me? I just get like this tunnel vision and I could just suddenly be like 10 miles from where I started and not even realize it until I like get out of that mode. So that was really fun though. I love doing that stuff. But I'll go try again tomorrow. That's been my week is just bear hunting and stuff. For the love of God, Kenny, I hope you've ridden your bike or a motorcycle (laughs) or something. Yeah, I actually did. So over the weekend, I took a day trip on 
Saturday to St. George and met up with a couple people and we rode Gooseberry Mesa and Wire Mesa to oh, yeah. two of my favorite spots. I just really I like... I can interject here yeah. and say that Gooseberry is really fucking cool. I've ridden there. It's super hard. It's just... It's like nine million one-pedal intervals, but it's so fun. Yeah, it's so good. It truly is. Like, I forgot how much fun that place is, and I'll get into some more stuff. But, I mean, I on one hand, I don't want to tell people to go there because every time I go there, there's more people, but... <laughs> Who gives a shit? Oh, it's, it's not, not it's not bad. a big deal, right? It's not like my neighborhood trails corner canyon here where there's actually a thousand people. This one is in the middle of nowhere, so it's not that big of a deal. As long as I can like park somewhere. But I mean it's a giant mesa. You can park probably a million cars up there. Just park wherever you want because it's Utah. So <laughs> anyway, Gooseberry Mesa, super duper cool area. It is like the name says. It is on top of a mesa, and Correct. it's just crazy. Do they grow gooseberries there? If you haven't been, it's just the classic southern Utah stuff with crazy, just crazy-looking prehistoric stuff, essentially. It's just insano views. Really cool. So outside yeah, of like, the views and just what a cool area that you're in and how unique it is. Well, hold on. What's up? Let me, let me interject here because like it's kind of a – a, a difficult ride in some ways because it is so physical. Like you have to think about every meter of the trail. But with that said, there's not any place on that trail that you could stop where you, if you stop to like take a quick break and look around, it's fucking rad. Everywhere you stop, you can look in any direction and it's just cool. Yeah, it's unbelievable. It is, I know we've talked about it probably a hundred times on the show by now. Make it 101. But it is. I don't know how I would describe it. One one part moon, but the actual terrain is very like slick rock esque, I guess, where there's a lot of like it's just a giant I don't even know how it works. It's just a giant smooth rock base for the most part. There's gonna be a couple little sand spots in between, a little bit of dirt here and there, but all that stuff is like dirt on top of a giant goddamn solid rock. It's crazy. Well, well I mean, if you think about it eons ago a river eroded everything but this hard ass rock and that that's or what's the left. ocean yeah whatever like water <laughs> eroded everything but this hard ass rock that's left behind so you're riding on essentially the ocean floor well no because ocean makes you think of kind con- like sandy stuff but it i would say it's like i mean the traction is like concrete it's amazing like anything you look at, you could just stab your tire into it and it's going to grip. It's amazing. It is really, really, really cool. So I highly recommend people go ride it. And don't be intimidated. Like we're saying that it's physical and it is difficult. The neat thing about it is you're probably not going to die out there. Like the conse- <laughs> the consequences of fucking up a section are some of the really, really crux sections that are like very steep, uh, slick rock climbs. You could like, if you really fucked up, you could maybe like get scared, not make it, and like lock up a back break and then like tip over backwards and fall down five feet on your head or something. But that would be so basically if you crash, you're gonna like maybe skin your knee somewhere. That's really gonna be it. The speeds are generally fifteen miles an hour and less. There's still some fun sections that like semi flow, but it's a lot of work. It's just like constantly paying attention, but it's a gigantic bicycle playground if you like any kind of techie riding whatsoever there are literally a million different things you can do and different places you can go and none of it is like off limits like you can just kind of just wander wherever you want because it's just a giant rock so super cool highly recommend it super fun i've always enjoyed going there i will say the standout on this trip was the Kinevo SL. It was awesome. It really like came alive out there. I was very surprised. You would think that a big old long wheelbase, long travel, relatively heavy bike would not be good out there. But to be honest, it was freaking awesome. It um, like dirt couch, didn't it? It was it was Did just, you just amazing. Monster truck over stuff? You can monster truck everything. And the few things that are like semi steep but short descents, like almost a you're just kind of like almost dropping off of a rock, like that's really it. So no extended descending or anything like that. But when you do point that thing down, it just eats that stuff up. It's insane. You're like, oh, that was not even a thing. And then someone does it on like an XC bike and they almost die. <laughs> yeah. Like when I was there, I rode a alternate line. Imagine 
you're cruising along and you find yourself in this like small little gulch and the the traditional line would be like two foot roll down three foot roll down three foot roll down three foot roll down like don't check my math on this or before you drop into the gulch you like go up on the ridge and then you do it as like one pretty gnarly 20 foot roll down you know but i'm sure all that stuff on that bike is just like yeah it was hysterical it was so fun and on top of it being an e-bike which makes it a lot more enjoyable but still like i got freaking worked mostly upper body stuff just because you can't help it um yeah it was great so standouts are kenevo sl is really good um I've been trying some EXT suspension on it, which I'm sure in the future we will dive into more detail on. Uh, but that was working very well. Need to do a few tweaks uh, on some valving. But generally speaking, pretty awesome. That coil rear was just, I it was just absolutely eaten. It was unreal. It's very loud. <laughs> but holy crap, does it work. It's really cool. So the bike was phenomenal. Uh, what else? Tires were great. I'm running the T9 Butcher front and a Purgatory rear, the one that's got like a, a very pronounced like paddle slash V pattern on it. Cause I think there's a few different versions of the Purgatory. I can't even keep them all straight these days, but I think it's maybe an old version that they don't make anymore. Regardless, both two sixes, um, T7 compound rear, T9 front, they were amazing. I don't think I slipped a tire once. It's also quite grippy out there. At Gooseberry, but I will say, as an example, I went out there on two, three, five new ground controls, and it was like the worst time of my life. I hate those tires. <laughs> it was so bad. It was like once you've ridden that bigger volume tire, it's really hard to go back. I mean, even on my my uh, Epic, I'm running the two six recon in the front, yeah. and I understand. Like, if I lived in Memphis, I might still run like a two four just for the ultimate like flat pedaling speed but that you know when you're when you're descending a decent amount of your ride or riding some of this more technical terrain those big like big ish you know i don't i don't really i mean i ride a 28 recon on the front of the jaffe now i couldn't remember the name of that bike but um yeah like the the bigger tire it just it's like magic it unlocks something i don't know how else to describe it they're amazing. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. They roll pretty slow and they're heavier, but especially on like an e-bike, in my case, a little bit lighter half power e-bike, but still they just conform to everything better. It's more comfortable. You get way better traction. Um, yeah. You're less likely to rim dong. So yeah, it was great. Bike was really cool. Those trails are awesome. Wire Mesa, for those that don't know, is fairly close. It's kind of down the road from Gooseberry Mesa and it is not quite as technical and it's a little bit faster, a little bit flowier. So it's good like intro to get an idea for what the train's going to be like. So if you're going to go out there, probably a good plan, go ride Wire Mesa first and then realize that Gooseberry is going to be twice as hard. But and Wire's maybe still a different, fun. A different way to pitch it, if you're not used to that terrain or maybe you're coming from a lower elevation or maybe you have hardtails or short travel bikes, Wire Mesa would be more fun. Would you agree with yes, that? Yes, for sure. Yeah, if you were on a hardtail... You can totally do gooseberry on a hardtail. It's like not that big of a deal. You're going to be a little beat up at the end of the day, but you can totally, you could do it. I, I think we've talked about this before. Oh, I guess St. George isn't as high as I thought it was. No, that's 2,700 feet. Um, <laughs> well, gooseberry, gooseberry is higher. Gooseberry is like a good probably 1,000 feet higher. Yeah. and Like it snows up there quite a bit. Uh, I think I've asked you this, like let's go back four years when I was in St. George. Have you ever ridden Church Rocks? I have, yeah. It's so good. Like <laughs> it I know that it's just a neighborhood, let's call it a neighborhood like local trail, you know, it's not a destination trail like maybe Gooseberry would be, you sure. know, people aren't going to drive from the let's call it a 2-hour radius to come ride Church Rocks, but like that was so much fun and it's the same it's that same flavor, you know, it's just a lot of that old bedrock type stuff. Jake, don't tell me I'm wrong. It's just <laughs> Yeah, well, it's cool. There's only one kind of rock. Like it's real easy. There's there's one kind of rock. There's no other science behind it. It's really simple. Oh my god, Jake, I apologize. <laughs> I'm sure your head just blew up. <laughs> I'm just see, I'm just trolling people. It's so much fun. Uh yeah, Church Rocks is cool. Church Rocks has a lot more like extended 
descending and Mm -hmm. some kind of it's got some gnarlier lines like church rocks like you could get hurt at church rocks actually where you're probably not going to get hurt at gooseberry unless you like went off the edge of gooseberry and then you die yeah but you're dead so it doesn't matter yeah i mean you would be so beyond dead that it wouldn't matter yeah, it's kind of like falling off of the white rim. Like, who cares? Like, <laughs> you just turn into pink mist when you hit the ground. Yeah. Like, it's, you know, it's it's not like, oh, I fell down and got hurt. It's like, oh, they might have part of my shoe or my foot left in my shoe. Yeah. But other yeah, than that, like, I'm, I'm just pink mist, you know? <laughs> <laughs> That's terrible. But, yeah, super fun. So, cool weekend. It was just a quick day trip. It got super-duper windy. Uh, on Sunday, so I decided not to uh, stay, which is probably maybe a good thing. I didn't really ask the rest of the group how it went, but it looked <laughs> extremely windy. And riding at Gooseberry is, even though it's kind of up on a mesa, I don't think it gets super duper windy up there, surprisingly enough. But like Zen Trail, for example, that trail when it's super windy is kind of not a good time. I've definitely done like 20 to 25 mile an hour winds out there and it's yeah we it's, get sandblasted out there in the desert you can the other thing about it that's actually surprising is it actually is just so physically loud like you you start getting a headache because like it's just the wind is blowing and whipping and it like changes directions and all kinds of crazy stuff and it's super distracting and not not a good time well, it's at just all. mentally fatiguing it you really know, you're is. not just you're not just pedaling down the bike path you have to think about what you're doing and I think whether we realize it or not, we listen to our bikes. You know, you hear if your tire is like slipping when you're descending something. And if you're trying to listen like through the wind, I think that really drains on you. Plus the fact that, you know, as you're leaning into the wind and navigating technical terrain, I mean, you know, don't sleep on it. Like the, irregardless of what Andrea says, the, the, the wind is terrible. It is. It's a lot (laughs) like, you know, if you were, walking around you know being a tourist in some new city you know it's fine you're walking around it's all good but if you had like a monkey on your back and he was like smacking you in the face the whole time like it's kind of distracting all i have to say is back when i was racing the enemy of my enemy is my friend that's actually from alien versus predator but it it tracks for wind or climbs or anything that other people are no, but the, anything that other people hate. We've discussed this. Climbs are much different than the wind. The, a climb doesn't suddenly just smack you from the <laughs> side. Like you, you can see a climb. That's true. You know, the wind is this invisible, evil mistress. So. <laughs> uh, do we want to do listener questions real quick? Let's do new shit because there's only a couple of things that I thought were interesting. Uh, one is a recall. SRAM is issuing a safety recall for most aftermarket ETAP axis shift brake levers. So your road levers, if you got them aftermarket. Meaning they didn't come on a complete bike. Yeah. So what happened was there's too much Loctite on there. And so when... Someone from Trek was hired by SRAM and they were applying a Trek amount of Loctite. (laughs) Oh, God. Uh, they use so much Loctite there. The person at Trek who applies the Loctite or orders the amount of Loctite to be applied to no, no, suspension it, bolts it is goes, not the person who pays for the Loctite. It all goes back to that there's the like Trek University and some dude oh, yeah. put no exaggeration. <laughs> you know, you... you Trek University is a thing. If you work in a bike shop that's a Trek store, you can do their online education programs like you watch videos and do quizzes and shit so you can get a discount in on anything trick and in one of those videos no exaggeration you you put two or three drops of loctite on a bolt you know you don't use a lot you know that shit's pretty thin in one of the trek you videos the dude put like an eighth of a teaspoon it like the bottle would have made the farting noise the next time that <laughs> you went to squirt some out. It was, it, yeah. It also a Trek youth tidbit. There was a how to set up tubeless tires video that I never passed. Yeah, it was pretty terrible. I don't know if it's any different now, but anyway. So the guy from the Trek U video, Mister Heavy Handed Loctite guy, applied the Loctite to the aftermarket uh, mounting hardware or the mounting hardware on aftermarket SRAM ETAP axis shift brake levers. 
Um, and what can happen is your mechanic can be installing those and say, okay, it's tight. It's torqued because there's so much Loctite on there. It is actually not torqued all the way. It's just very hard to turn the bolt. And so your shifters are not actually well attached to your bar. Uh, the fix is they will supply you with two new bolts that do not have a bunch of Loctite on them and a sticker that goes with them saying that it has been fixed. Let me make sure I got that right. Yep, you yeah, are Yeah, two correct. bolts and a sticker. Um, honestly, I've removed excess Loctite off of bolts before. No, 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 no. Get, ask for your two bolts and your sticker. Okay, just do that. Don't Our use legal, the... Uh, even the legal department that says, <laughs> close your eyes and imagine this while driving down the highway, follow the recall. It don't cost nothing. And just, just go follow the rules. And there's a list of affected part numbers on... I'm sure it's on SRAM's website, but it's on Bike Rumor as well. So check that out if you have had aftermarket brake levers installed. The other thing, which I kind of love and hate... Hold on. Kenny, do you have any thoughts on that? Anything you want to say? Mm. No, not really. Are you happy that a brand had an issue and they just have a blanket recall instead of a inspection process that's the responsibility of the local shop? Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've got lots of thoughts. I've got something... <laughs> yeah, I got some things that I want to say that I can't say yet um, that may be discussed at a later date. All right, let's talk about that when we push stop. <laughs> it's not <laughs> for it's not about the SRAM thing, so don't don't worry. It's not it's not SRAM. It is somebody else. <laughs> is it Marzoki? I'm just kidding. Uh, what you got, Andrew? <laughs> let's let's look at this abomination called the. Uh... I don't I don't want to call it an abomination. I want to call this some. People with way too much money made a bike without consulting real bike people. They made a very expensive bike. It's called Priceless Titanium and Carbon Aston Martin 1, well, it's like .1R Road Bike by J. Laverick Custom Integrates Brake. Uh, this is, God, this is a... It's just word soup. Yeah, so it's a I, bad I've got, I'm, I mean, I'm glad we're talking about this one because I have... Lots of mixed. Have, I have lots of mixed thoughts, but you, you guys should go first. I was so very carbon, angry at first, and then I got less it's angry. Carbon tubes with uh, 3D printed titanium lugs. Everything that can be integrated is integrated, but I, I don't necessarily like the parts that are integrated. I mean, it's super custom, and you can get this bike paint matched to your fucking Aston Martin. They don't give a price. They just say. They're going to custom build it for you and then give you the price. They'll charge your American Express black card once they're finished, is basically what they say. If you got to ask. Yeah. So. I mean, I think we can easily speculate that if a high-end over, I mean, this is made in the UK, right? Yep. So something that's made in China, or let's just call it the Far East, because I don't exactly know where Specialized is making their S-Works bikes. But if you can pay fourteen or fifteen k for an S Works Tarmac SL8 with off-the-shelf parts, we can easily deduce that this is going to be a twenty-five, twenty to thirty thousand dollar bike, pretty easily. Probably, um, yeah. Um, it has integrated disc brakes. They are four-piston brakes. They have titanium uh, pistons. I think is what I read. It, it doesn't really matter. Um, the weird thing is first about the brakes. They're four piston, but I'm guessing maybe this brake isn't made to be a super powerful brake. So I think they just did four piston so they could etch the name Aston Martin on the inner side of the caliper and have plenty I of also, room for it. I wonder a few other things. On the one where it shows the inside of the caliper and you can see the Aston Martin logo, you see what appears to be where you would install a brake hose, but there's no brake hose. I think it's integrated through the fork. Yeah, that's a bleed port. Yeah, I think that's a bleed port. Okay, that's kind of what um, I was wondering. I'm also wondering, is it something crazy like... Hold on, Kenny. It's... But to answer your question, it, you, you're looking at the same picture as me. Uh -huh. See that bleed port? If you look behind that bleed port... I don't, port, I don't know if that's a, a bleed port. Okay. The, the part thing that, that I'm looks calling like a, a bleed port. port. <laughs> okay. If you look behind that, uh -huh. there's a bolt yep. that attaches to a peat, like a little bolt-on cover, and sure. I think that's where the hose exits the fork. And I'm also guessing that the entire assembly, like the ca the caliper itself, does unbolt from the frame. It's not like you know you've got pistons that are like inside Mad. your frame. Dude, they threw out the rule book. Who knows? Maybe. Yeah. So I don't know. 
the weird thing, the thing that makes me uncomfortable about this caliper is that you can pair them. Maybe this is part of the customization process. I don't know. Uh, possibly if they have an actual bicycle engineer working on this, you can pair them with Shimano, SRAM, or Campy brake shift levers. A Shimano, like the internals of a Shimano brake, because it's mineral oil, are not compatible. The seals are not compatible with dot fluid. Yeah, but that's really simple to solve. Well, I'm sure they just so have are some they, different... Are they, I think, yeah, I think it just it's just different, different seals? I think they're is just that, different brakes, right? They they probably look the same from the outside, but they're different brakes. So like if you yeah, order no, a bike with, with SRAM, then it's going to come with a caliper that is a SRAM-compatible caliper. Yeah, no different than guess. Hope. You can buy aftermarket Hope calipers for your Shimano or SRAM road brakes, and you know they just they just put the right rubber in okay. there. Okay, so I wasn't thinking expensive enough there, so maybe that's the case. <laughs> um, the next problem that I see with these is they have this really fancy integrated bar stem combo thing. In fact, thing. it's so integrated in some of the pictures that it doesn't turn. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> in some of these pictures, it looks like. There is no actual way for the bars to turn. I think those are computer generated, like the picture of the silver blue. Yeah, you don't need to. You're not going to actually ride this bike. Yeah. So in the picture of the bike, that's like the turquoise where you can see raw carbon. Um, it's very obvious that the flat parts of that handlebar point down, which is not the comfortable way to run a flat top bar. No, no and one's going to ride. Additionally, this when you look at it from the side, the place where the shifters mount, which I'm assuming is, it looks like it's a pretty fixed spot. I don't know. It's hard to tell because they have these very fancy leather uh, bar covers instead of bar tape. Which those are baller as oh, no, shit, no, by the I way. Don't, no, yeah, I kind of like those. To back up, it's it's not bar tape. It's like a it just like a steering wheel cover that's like stitched into place. I know that's why it's awesome. So you're gonna come so into the bike shop, you get think your you can tubular glued, adjust for those, and then get your your hood sewn on. I don't know why you think anyone's riding this bike, Andrea. No one cares. Who cares that the the hood position is from a 1997 Le Mans. <laughs> That's no what I was going to say is thing. it looks like you have to ride. It, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's because the shifters are installed and then the, the handlebar covers are stitched on by hand. I That could definitely be it. But in every picture of these from the side, the brake hoods are probably an inch lower than where... But they're flat. So if you moved them up an inch, they'd be pointed into the sky like CX levers. This isn't a rideable bicycle. Like, I, I just... Eh. Yeah. That's the that's the bad part. Like, I think it's a cool idea. I mean, road bikes have, like, topped out, right? And I've had... God, what I was discussing that with someone. Uh, someone sent me something on Instagram, I think. It, it was a road bike thing. And I'm like, well, road bikes are just... they're they're topped out. Like there's nowhere else for road bikes to go. They're already as light as they can legally be for competition. And it's, that's just what road bikes are. Like there, there's going to be minor adjustments, but I don't think it's like mountain bikes where you're going to see, you know, five years from now, like we'll look back at the mountain bikes that we're riding now and be like, man, stuff has gotten so much better. Yeah. I mean, in reality, you could take a 2012 Cat 10 slap some 11 speed mechanical force on it and go race the fuck out of it you yeah, know like exactly. you're not at a huge disadvantage no, not at all I yeah think and it's if insane. you took a 2011 mountain bike you just you wouldn't have as good of a time like sure if you're just a fucking hammer you can race anything and beat most people but yeah like road bikes they, they just haven't changed and this is kind of the first thing in a while where someone's taken a road bike and done something a little different with it with the integrated brakes i mean Someone that specialized is probably looking at this and being like, huh, we could integrate some brakes. You know, so you get a little bit of maybe innovation here as far as road bikes go. But yeah, I mean, you know, this is taking something that's topped out and doing something a little bit new with it. I just don't think that it's, at least with the handlebar thing, like just being fixed in a position that's obviously not going to be comfortable. I think it's a cool idea. It's I don't pretty. Hate it. It's pretty. Uh, other things, could you imagine like what you have to do to align your brake caliper? Yeah, I was kind of wondering if you look back up the picture of maybe that's and you you get you know their custom uh, 
rotor with it. Maybe they've manufactured the the frame, the hub, and the rotor to just be in the same spot on every bike. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, but I mean, pistons have to move, right? So like, that's never that's never going to work. They said something about a maybe semi floating rotor, so that's like maybe yeah. a tiny bit of it. But anyway, just a funny little thing. It's, like, how I'm in the world if are you, you going to do that? If you look at the picture of the uh, just the close-up of the brake in the fork, like the backside, the Aston Martin side of the brake, there are two bolts under that cover where the hose probably comes out of the fork. Uh, maybe in there you have to do some kind of like a shim or something to realign the brake. I don't know. Again, no one's riding this, so who cares? Yeah. I think it's a cool kind of concept. Oh, yeah, and the, the crank is like an integrated, um, you know, proprietary BCD direct mount sort of thing i'm sure that just cost a bazillion dollars if you ever actually ride it enough to replace it but yeah that's that's all i got to say kenny do you have thoughts other than what i've said just in general that we're talking about how road bikes have topped out i can't believe how much money you can still spend on some road bikes like how much they want for an s-works level frame fork for example not saying there's oh, not yeah. a lot of tech. Five hundred dollars. Yeah, I'm not saying there's not a lot of tech in it and a lot of research, but goddamn, that is, uh, that that's just wild. When you start thinking about a mountain bike and suspension, and it's going to be two thousand dollars less for the best that you can buy. That's I just don't get it. I absolutely don't get it. I mean, but it's not though. It's forty five hundred dollars to buy a, a Turk Yeti frame, right? Sure. But that's still cheaper, and it comes with a shock and a bunch of suspension and linkages and shit. But it it doesn't come with a front fork, so then you put a Fox or Ultimate level, we've, you know. We've discussed this before. Yeah, like, we added up the cost Road of, bikes don't make sense in terms yeah, of price. Like, right. But, I don't know, it's what people pay for them, so I guess it makes sense. Like, people, yeah. people's are, people buy S-Works bikes for a lot of money every day, so obviously it makes sense. Yeah. That's how capitalism works. But that's all I got. Yeah, and on this that bike, bike comes. Yeah, it comes with its its own custom carrying case too. Uh, that's numbered with the same number that's on the bike. So there you go. You have a crate for your bike. I don't know if the crate will fit in your Aston Martin, but it comes with a crate. And we've got listener questions. Unless there's anything else new that you guys want to talk about. Uh, apparently, Mavic made a wheel. I didn't even know they were still in business. I don't really want to talk about it a whole lot. Um, yeah, they need to, they need to clear the air and like figure out what the fuck they're doing because like they hadn't answered the phone for five years with no explanation whatsoever. And I know they've been like bought and sold by Chinese companies and all kinds of shit. I don't really care. I never really liked them anyway, but like, you know, if you're going to make an announcement, like, um, you know, we're coming out with a wheel, but first you should post your phone number and be like, sorry guys that we were fucking gone for five years. Here's our phone number. If you got shit, that's broken, we're going to try to fix it. No, I mean, you just missed that. They did announce that Mavic North America was back in Vermont, I think. I think, or Vermont being I, the, the part I think about. But, like, they announced Mavic North America was back, and I was just like, cool, great, not my problem anymore. Yeah, they never called me. I left a voicemail on some, you know, some basement phone somewhere many years ago, and I was like, when you guys are back in business, you need to give me a call because I'm pissed. <laughs> and they we'll never tag them in this Instagram post. Yeah, and they never called me, so... Yeah, fully ghosted everybody for well, basically 10 years, but at least a solid five. And I can say with strong confidence, four years, very hard ghosted. Like, I beg you to find me, a, and I'm going to get the model name wrong, but like just, you know, a, a, an Enduro Elite drive side end cap for 148. Just find one. Just <laughs> just find me a fucking end cap. Yeah, my interest is... My interest is so low that it cannot be measured by modern science for anything Mavic. <laughs> is it down to like zero degrees Kelvin low? It's zero Kelvin. Yeah. Oh, I, I am at absolute zero caring for Mavic. Uh, listener question time. Uh, we've got a question from Mike. Do you want me to read this? Sure. Got to give me some computer tilt here. Uh, Let me a little first. Hi guys. Got a gravel drive train question for you. My 20, oh, my 2019 Revolt came with a Shimano 105 and 2x with a 3248 crank, 1134 cassette, and it has this stupid giant conduit system that gives you hydraulic brakes with mechanical levers, which may come up later. I need more range for hill climbs and stumbled onto mullet drivetrains, which I think may be the answer. However, mullet only speaks to a one by setup. This article, which is on bikepacking, 
outlines how I can pair a Sunrace cassette, a Wolftooth Goat Link, and a GRX derailleur with 105 delay- derailleurs for a nice one by setup. But can I keep the two by? Scroll. Uh, if I have to change the crank set, then I may as well address the brake system issue, which at that point I may as well just consider a new bike and throw this on the trainer. <laughs> Basically, I want a 40 or 42 cassette, minimal disruption to everything else. Thoughts? Um, you can't have, you essentially want mountain bike gearing on a road bike, and the only way to really get, I don't care, it's a gravel bike, it's still a road bike because it's drop bar. I'm old, everything drop bar is a road bike because you, you have road shifters. That's what matters. Um, the only way you can have that is to run either SRAM. If you want true mountain bike gearing, you can run SRAM AXS, any road levers with any road crank set with any mountain bike rear derailleur. And the important thing is your rear derailleur will, you'll choose your rear derailleur based on your cassette size. And then from the cassette size, you'll pick the corresponding derailleur from the derailleur. You'll run the right chain that chain will play nice with any single front chain ring from SRAM. You cannot run mountain bike two by gearing on a drop bar bike. It's not possible. What and about and when you start when you start mixing and matching like a Sunrays cassette, maybe when you first get it, um, sure it it's like w- the setup they're talking about, a Sunrays cassette, a Wolf Tooth Goat Link, the GRX derailleur. It's it might work like a minus shifting when you get it once you put 500 miles on it it's gonna shift like ass or when it gets dirty or if the, the wind blows on it the hang- wrong way or, or if the rear derailleur hanger is 0.1 tenth of a bch out of alignment yeah yeah that that stuff you're gonna run across people every now and then that are like oh i have that and i've put 8,000 miles on it and it's perfect that person got lucky their frame, their everything just happened to work out just right to where it jives with that setup. Matt and I have had our hands on a lot of that shit because a lot of people want exactly what you're talking about. Like when we were working at Absolute Bikes and that's, you know, kind of near the middle of the Great Divide mountain bike route, people would come in with that stuff and they're like, it hasn't shifted right since Canada. And it's because they put that stuff on their bike, they trained on it, it it was a little worn out when they started, or getting, just not even worn out, but just had some wear on it. beyond broken. Yeah, like it had some wear on it when they started, and that just compounded as they went with weather and terrain and, you know, 100 mile days, and it... And then a shop 200 miles north of us says, you got to pour a gallon of squirt lube on your bike. (laughs) Yeah, it just, you know, in in real world situations, that shit just doesn't work. So I wouldn't do that stuff. Do what Matt's talking about or throw it on the trainer and get a new bike. What about the Kenny 600% setup? What was the Kenny 600% setup? I think, I haven't actually done it. I'm pretty sure it works though. It's a 1044 XDR cassette for like explore and then you're going to run a uh, wireless gx or similar uh, axis 12 speed eagle derailleur and then you're going to run a two by front uh front setup and run it all wireless and 600 percent. i don't the problem is didn't we figure out that you would have like a lot of chain slack if you were it, small small no, no i think i think maybe it's possible, small, small, but you don't care about small, small. Like, that's an irrelevant well, gear. The, the problem is, is when you look at SRAM's 2 by derailleurs, the distance between the, and I'm trying to get this terminology correct, the, I think it's the P-knuckle, like where the whole derailleur cage pivots and the upper jockey wheel, it's too big on a mountain bike derailleur to have any front shifting. So, you know, your your B-gap changes when you change your uh, uh, doodad around, your, your front chain ring. Yeah, that, know, that, is, that is accurate. Yeah, I'm sure there will be some weirdness there, but someone should try it. I did, like, plug it all into each other and, like, everything talked and shifted and moved, which is pretty cool. Uh, but it might not actually fucking work. I don't know. I'll do it. I don't know. Oh, other bike news. I sold my uh, gravel bike last week. One less Sick. bike. Yep, one less bike. I uh, I got way richer, so that's that was the goal. Um, Just have Land Rover money. It's not even that. I know. Like, <laughs> yeah, you might have to sell all your bikes, man. 
No, <laughs> no. I've, I, I, mm. You're going to be driving down what? the road and you're going to hear a noise and you're going to be like, uh-oh, I got to sell a bike. No. <laughs> I mean, first of all, you motherfuckers act like I'm broke. <laughs> not. And second of all, you act like the truck's ever going to run. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. I just, yeah, I just sold it. Um, but with that said, the Crave is coming back into service. So that bike's going to get real weird real soon. It's already real real weird. No, it's not real weird right now. It's pretty normal right now. I wonder I wonder if mortgage people even really need to like run any numbers or get any official bank statements or anything. If you wanted to take out like a second mortgage on your home and there's like a reason code and you say Land Rover and they're like, "Oh, okay, cool. No problem. We got gotcha. you." <laughs> well, the code is just LR. <laughs> but that would make you think that uh, my name is on this house, which it's not. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, any uh, other questions? Yeah, we've got a long one here, um, and I don't even know if it's a question. It might be just a... More just, someone who's, just someone who's angry? No, they're not angry. They're actually complimentary. This is from Brady. And Oh, shit. Hold on. I closed the email. I was trying to scroll. Do you want to read yeah. part of it and I'll read more? No, I'll just get going. So Brady says, hey, friends, been listening for several years, and this last summer, uh, life threw me some curveballs. I've been traveling in the Wayback Machine through episodes from the summer and am now caught up on the stories, rants, and laughs. Two things. First, I want to thank all of you for the respect you have for everyone's two-wheel passions. Back in episode 108, where Kenny shared his meat race recipe with the world, you spoke highly of several moto and mountain bike disciplines. I'm from Wisconsin. I've been racing motocross my whole life from age 6 and now 28. I raced professionally for a few years after high school, and when I realized the injury list was growing but my bank account was shrinking, I went I went to and got an oh sorry um, I went to and got an engineering degree and picked up enduro mountain bike racing. I've continued casually competing in both moto and mountain bike uh, racing. Both are expensive and both can kick your dick in, but the itch needs scratch. Thank you for the mixture of com of content. Second, I'd like to add to Kenny's market predictions and hear your thoughts on short cranks, zero offset stems, round tires, as in not square tread, and mullet wheels. Mountain bikes are getting more capable and more like moto. All the OEM ICE motocross bikes, even the Stark, I have or have near identical geometry, wheel sizes, and suspension kinematics. Power delivery aside, variation mainly came or comes in chassis, stiffness, and suspension tuning. Do you think mountain bikes will shake out similarly? Enduro and downhill will get as close to moto geometry as feasibly makes sense without a motor? The endurance-focused disciplines will settle into geometry and suspension kinematics that, suspend, that suit those events. And like, sorry, I got to scratch my eye. Um, and like moto OEs, the big five will all make mountain bikes damn near the same for each discipline, respectively. While I don't think that is the most interesting future for cycling, I feel like it is a likely outcome as long as there's professionals or as long as there is a professional stage. Teams and riders will hone in on what works and converge on the most competitive setup. Interested to hear your thoughts and thanks for the ender entertainment. Chunder chasing cheesehead. Um so let's really scroll back up and hit these big I want to start by saying if you're a, a former professional motocross racer or moto racer and you're now riding enduro mountain bike, get your suspension serviced. Your, your shit's worn out. I don't even see your bike in front of me. I can just tell you you've ridden the shit out of it and just stay on top of it. Uh, what do you think, Kenny? Uh, let's start with the short cranks. Like I, I know that I say I'm going to ride 175s till I die, but like I don't know. If someone handed me some... 172.5s. <sighs> Whatever. We'll, we'll start small. We'll start small. We're going to start with like some 174s and <laughs> we'll go down from there. I mean, before I you know it, him. before you know it, you're going to be on some 145s. <laughs> and honestly, I think I'd be more inclined to try that than a 160. Seriously. Like make a weird, huge jump. A huge, jump. weird change. I mean, I went from 175s to 170s, and I'm just, I'm more comfortable on 170s. And I mean, granted, I am a lot smaller than you, but I noticed a difference in like cadence and I don't know, just, I, I did notice the difference in pedal strikes too. So I, I like 170s. I'm pretty happy with them. I don't know. 
like Matt, if someone handed me a 160 or 165 and said, take this for a few rides, I'd do it. I don't know if I'd like it better or worse or whatever, but you know, I'd be willing to try it if it was free. So remember, the whole point of this crank length thing, it's not making cranks smaller to change your cadence or just for the fact that like, oh, you need to make your pedal circle smaller or any of that kind of stuff. That's like all irrelevant pretty much. It's you're putting shorter cranks on the bike so you can lower your center of mass. That is the whole purpose. And it's going to make the bike ride everywhere else so much fucking better that you will just learn to pedal that bike. But That's at my what prediction. point do you start slapping the bottom of the bike on the ground? I mean, I guess first you'd have to hit the chain ring. Yeah, you get a bash guard. Yeah, I mean, there is there is a practical, there's going to be a practical limit, but I don't think, I think cranks in that 150 ballpark is where we're going to end up truly. And again, I mean, I would try, I, I know I've jokingly said like, no, 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 but like, sure, I'd try it. I've like, got some ones that, like, you can just grab some 170 cranks out of the Yeah, but remember, it's not about it's not about that. The bike has to be built around it first, first and foremost. No, but my stump jumper is. My stump jumper in... Yeah, in I mean, we'll call it, it's made for five millimeter shorter cranks. Like, that bike is built around a 170 crank, not a 175. That's the only difference. I'm talking about sure. a bike built around a 150. That's what I want. We just don't have it yet because everyone's scared. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I think it is creeping that way. So market predictions, I, I think if a manufacturer just, it's going to be one of those things where someone kind of, you know, off of the big five, like Pole, like Pole made that weird ass, or I, I don't know, maybe they still make it. They made that weird ass bike with the like straight up and down seat tube angle. Like someone's going to have to, some small company is going to have but to come out with something and be like, this bike only runs 150 cranks. But the small comp that's the problem, is if the JRA show started a bike brand, which we could, it, it wouldn't be that hard. We could get frames painted from China and have them here by, I don't know, July. It, it, if we put our minds to it and threw some cash at it, it could happen. But the problem is... So join JRA Patreon no, for as little as $3 a month. No, but the problem is, is when JRA bikes went to SRAM and said, hey, make us 150 cranks. They're like, cool, how many? And we're like, 100. They'd be like, ha. You know, if Scott or Trek or Specialized went to SRAM or Shimano or whoever and said, make me 150 cranks and I want a gajillion of them. They'd be like, you bet, boss. Coming right up. You know, like, that's the problem is, you know, well, they would also just have to order, along with their frames from China, they'd have to find a company that would make short cranks, just a, you know, an off-brand of, I don't know, like someone like Praxis or something would make something I mean, something Canfield like has been doing it, and it hasn't taken off. Have they built bikes around short crank sizes? Or that's, they just offer short cranks? I mean, that's that their bikes are long, low, slack, and they pair them with short cranks. So, I mean, I, I think it's going to be... Maybe it's a problem with their marketing manager. Who? <laughs> um, no, I think it's just a problem of scale, and I think Kenny's right. We're, you know, it's like boiling a frog in water, right? Like we're we're just gonna have to get there essentially, or well, eventually, it, but, not essentially. But you know, it was small companies first who did high pivot bikes. Yeah, but Trek's chain keeps falling off. So well, Trek aside, I mean, other peop other companies are high pivot bikes are becoming slightly more mainstream. And it's gonna. I I predict that it's got to be a few small companies that start doing that, and then the big companies are going to pick it up. I'll make another well, prediction. I think high pivot on. bikes are gonna end up where the uh, 27.5 plus stuff ended up, which is gone. I don't, but I think we're gonna see something different in the future. I don't know what that thing is, but I think that we're gonna see something different. I, yeah, I mean, the, the, I current, to... the current high pivot thing is not a sustainable thing. Like, you can't pedal the bicycle. Like, it's ridiculous. I... Maybe maybe on, like, an e-bike or something, maybe. Well, I, what I want to throw in here is if we go... Oh, how do I put this? I think that high pivot bikes are going to make sense when... How do, I don't know how to word this. If we get five years down the road and flight attendant is a $300 upgrade then yeah, I think high pivot makes sense because the bike locks itself out all the time when you're actually pedaling it hard on smooth surfaces. Right? Well, and you also have, you know, there's 
a big possibility. You know, he does mention uh, moto geometry. Will enduro and downhill bikes get as close to moto geometry as possible? I think at some point you might see companies start to really differentiate the suspension design and the parts they put on their e-bikes to make them more like a motocross bike, you know, because you don't have to worry as much. Sure, there's people that care about the weight of their e-bikes, but you're more, I guess, more tolerant to suspension designs that are less efficient pedaling and heavier suspension parts and things like that. So maybe that's something that is a market prediction is that e-bikes are going to become at least the ones that are more like enduro focused, like Kenny's um, Kenibo you know, maybe five years from now, that is going to look like a totally different bike than the non-e-bike, enduro bike. And see, I was going to say that I think that, I think that bikes are finally getting long and I don't know they're going to get that much longer, which segues into your zero millimeter stem question, but I don't know how much bigger a trail enduro style bike can get because we've kind of gotten them big. Um, yeah, and be... still be able to like navigate modern trails. Not even that. Just like how big can the bike be? And I think the only place we're going to see bikes grow is rearward. I think longer chain stays are going to get, you know, I, I talked about this already. Um, I rode an Esker Rowl this year and it has short chain stays. And, you know, the Stumpy, yeah, it doesn't manual. It doesn't do wheelies in the parking lot that well, but like, Take the stumpy to the trail and let her eat, and it eats. You know, it's it's got long chain stays, and sure, the Rowl wheelies in the parking lot really well, and on like little jibby stuff, it was a more playful bike, but you know, it, it didn't want to eat quite the same. Um, so I think that's where we're gonna see bikes. I think bikes are getting bigger, and I don't know how much bigger reach can get, but I think that our rear center can grow a little bit more on our current trails, on our current like what we're doing with bikes, I think that's how they're going to get more stable. I I'd don't think like zero millimeter see. stems are going to happen. Uh, I, I think that they might. I think it's going to be a little bit of uh, not reimagining, but some reconfiguring. I think it's pretty fascinating that uh, we might have talked about on the show at one point that rear, that rearward, like rear negative stem contraption thing. Mm-hmm. Something along those lines. Now, that was probably a little bit to the extreme, to the point where I think it's physically difficult to climb on that bike. But I think having a much more commanding position on the bike is going to be a good thing. Because again, going back to moto, you have just that commanding position on the bike, and it makes a big difference. You mean commanding like the, the bars are up in your face, kind of? Exactly. The bars are up, and you have a lot more bend in your arm, so that when you need to push forward on the bike you can do it a lot easier i don't know i feel like on something lighter like a mountain bike you just end up with that you know a motorcycle is just it's just fucking heavy you know even a smaller like a an electric motorcycle um you have just the weight of the frame and everything on the front wheel so your body weight over the front wheel doesn't matter quite as much and i think that's going to be our limitation with mountain bikes and with bikes that you actually want to pedal and climb on is you know when you don't have weight on the front wheel you just your front wheel just doesn't want to touch the ground as much and i i feel like that's a thing too with with descending a little bit too like you just you need a little weight on the front wheel in order to keep traction with your front wheel yeah yeah i think it's just going to be obviously it's a balance but i just i think that uh as the listener pointed out i think we're going to see stuff go more and more towards where moto has already gone um yeah moto is it's interesting almost every single bike is a 64 degree head tube angle and that's pretty much what dh and like the ultra enduro bikes are all at they're all at 64 degree head tube angles the offset's an interesting one fully combined i think it's usually in the 55 millimeter ballpark when you take into account triples plus uh axle so the whole shebang, just like we do on a mountain bike, I think it's 55-ish. So that's interesting because we are we we have been going less than that for a minute. Uh, but I think that might have to do with wheelbases. So the wheelbase of a moto is like way longer than even the gnarliest DH bike. 
So maybe that is why they're doing what they're doing. Well, and that goes back to what I was saying. Like when y'all are talking about putting weight on the front wheel, if you move the rider backwards away from the front wheel, but then you move the rear wheel rearwards away from the rider, you'd be putting the rider back between the wheels and putting the weight back on both wheels. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, um, I did get to pedal one of those Hey Duke LVSs around. And did I tell you about that on the show yet? Yeah. It I it was a size small, so I didn't get to ride it on the trail. There's I've heard rumbles that I might get to ride an XL on the trail. Um but yeah, it's uh I don't know. I'm it, I think it's gonna I'm just excited. It has a six hundred millimeter chainstay. It it's just kinda it's kinda kook and I, I wanna see what it feels like. All right. We should just wrap it up with this one last uh comment about what knife you should get. Chris says, for Matt's knife recommendations, hard to beat the Spyderco Delica FRN, full flat grind, easy to carry, thin and light, under 100 bucks, and proven design. Spyderco is basically the specialized of the knife world. You can get better steels, but the VG10 holds a decent edge, is pretty rust-resistant, and is easy to sharpen. Comes in different colors, too. Matt got a knife already. Yeah. Oh, and someone else suggested another one. Yeah, uh, so Glenn suggested a SOG, a different one, um, and I got a different SOG. I got the Terminus XR. Um, what's this last one? Is like a real question. We'll save that for next week. Okay. Uh, any closing thoughts? No, that's it. Shut her down. All right, good show. Uh, I have... By the time this show posts, we will have our charity stickers online. I've been out in the woods, so I have not done that yet, but we do have the stickers in, and they look great. There, you heard it. We're going to shut her down. Thanks for tuning in to the Just Riding Along show. There's some shit coming out of your pads.